Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Seth Heckman. How are you today, Seth? Doing well, Todd. How are you doing? I am doing well also. I'm especially excited because we are doing your favorite thing on this show, which is our challenge words. <laughs> <laughs> so all everyone participating in the show today has been given a challenge word to work as seamlessly and naturally into the conversation as possible. Our audience can be listening to see if they pick up on what those challenge words are. And then at the end of the show, we will reveal our success or lack thereof on using our challenge words. So Seth always loves this. For some reason, it makes you nervous. Well, I'm just competitive by nature, so it stresses me out until I get it in. But I'm kind of looking forward to this week because... You've got a challenge of a challenge word ahead of you, so we'll see what happens. I do. I do. <laughs> okay. Well, God bless us all and good luck, I guess. So um, I, I do have a couple of things, or one thing in particular I wanted to reveal to our audience today. Um, I wanted to reveal that I have learned that I can always tell just by looking at someone when they're lying. Really? I can also tell when they're standing by looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Does anyone else watch these guys on Facebook, probably on YouTube, called Doc Talk, D-O-C-K-T-O-K? Yeah, I enjoy them. Yeah. Two guys that sit by the dock of the bay and tell very deadpan dad jokes. I, I think they're hilarious. But anyway. <laughs> I will I will tell you one other thing. I, I did get a new pet in our household recently. Um, we got a pet termite. Um, I named him Clint uh, because Clint eats wood. Okay. <laughs> let's keep moving These, these on. are just getting worse. Yes, let's get to the, the highlight of the, the episode. Doing no place good. Nope, let's dive into it. So um, I'm excited about today's episode. Um, you know, nothing will kill a potentially solid business relationship more quickly, um, I don't think, in today's day and age than poor communication. And I know it's something we talk a lot about here, you know, in working with customers and also with vendors. Um, but, you know, how many times does a company or someone end up changing suppliers out of their out of frustration? And their comment at the end of that is that the original supplier just had really poor communication. Um, the reality is that in today's world, things happen faster all the time. This is the information age. And if we can't depend upon our business partners to communicate with us, then we, we end up feeling frustrated. Um, we end up feeling like our time is being wasted. We end up feeling like the relationship is costing more than it's gaining us. And I don't know if others have felt that way with a supplier, but I know that I certainly have. And so today I'm really excited about our spotlight, our spotlighted guest. Uh, it is longtime sales veteran, Frank Soma. Frank is a sales expert, speaker, coach, and author. He helps businesses build relationships all the time, 
but he also helps them, especially during difficult times of what we'll call chaos. Um, Frank's newest book is something that I had read a while back, and you'll be able to see it there on the wall behind him. The book is B2B is really P2P. How to with a how to win with high touch in a high tech world. Um, it's a book that came out right before COVID hit our world, and it really is a great book that pulls all businesses back to focus on personal relationships as being the things that drive sales and drive the success of a business. I know that Seth had led our sales team through that book uh, back uh, shortly. Well well into COVID, I guess I'll say. And uh, it's just a really, really well done done book and uh, great reminders, great new information for anyone who reads it. So Frank, uh, welcome to Construction Disruption. Pleasure to have you as our guest on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here and especially among people that have read the book and been kind enough to say that there was good information in there. I appreciate it. Very good. Well, so for our audience members who may not be familiar with you or completely familiar with you, can you maybe give us a little bit of an overview of your career in sales and, you know, what you've done and what's brought you to where you are today? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, what you were just talking about before and the importance of communication is something I've always been interested in. But I started out as a territory rep for Western Union Telegraph in the east end of Long Island, as in the Hamptons. Uh, very little business. And what I found early on was that um, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. I had just gotten out of the United States Navy after uh, four good years of serving our country. And, you know, I needed to go out and make money. And I talked to a guy who said to me, uh, he was the number one guy in the company, and I had arranged a meeting with him to ask him what he would do if he were me being brand new. And he said, I would go visit every single client Western Union has ever had, you know, dead or alive kind of thing out in the territory and, you know, make 10 stops a day if you have to. So this is back in, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, right? This is back with Hagstrom maps and green bar paper. Um, but I, I, but without any talent at all for the job. And I mean that, you know, um, I'm not just trying to be self-deprecating. I really knew nothing about selling, but I just, I did what this guy said. I, I worked 10 times as hard as anybody next to me. And I wound up making pro club in my first year. And that gave me an appetite to learn more and do more. And, um, I went on to become a partner in a business that Oh my goodness, when we got together, we were doing about $300,000 a year in revenue. Uh, it was a little copier and telex company. He was one of my clients when I was with Western Union. And when, uh, when we finished up 20 years later, I was a partner and we sold that business. Um, our revenue in that last year was about 28 million. And we had about 100 sales reps. So it grew tremendously. And not due to me, um, due to a, a, a tremendously good team. I mean, the guy that owned the place, my partner on the op side, a guy named Jim Kohler, who I'm still, you know, in business with today. Um, so that was the run. And, you know, from there, I, I had gotten a lot of experience in front of my own sales team. We had meetings every month with, uh, with a bunch of sales reps in, you know, 60, 80 people at a time and my manufacturers and 
I started hiring speakers. I got interested in what they did. So I asked uh, one in particular if I could take him out one night and ask him some questions. And he did. And I learned and got started. And here we are. Well, I, I have to ask, though. So you and I are eh, roughly the same age group, I'm sure, um, thereabouts. Um, Okay, I really do not recall what Western Union Telegraph was doing back then. I'm thinking of the Pony Express for some reason. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, Western Union Telegraph was Telex machines. So uh, before fax machines came on board, so this is 1983, um, before fax machines really became popular. And back mm -hmm. in the day, a fax, a fax took six minutes. It rolled around the roller, smelled like burning garlic. And the guy on the other end was on the phone with you, you know. At first, you had to call up, hear the tone, the different tone. Okay, we're connected. Hang up the phone. Put the paper in the fax machine. Um, so Telex was, you know, when you watch uh, or listen to the news, and they had that, sure. that noise in the old days of the news. That's a teletype machine. That's what I sold. Okay. So they were, yeah, they printed 66 words a minute from one end to the other. Then it became a little bit more. I guess digital went through phone lines and uh, and that baud rate increased a bit. And then, of course, it all went away uh, as communication got more and more sophisticated and easier. And that was that. Well, I have to admit, I'm still thinking Pony Express, but I'll get over that. But <laughs> I, I do want to thank you very much for your service to our country and the Navy. Yes, um, thank you very much for that. So today you head up the SOMA group um, through which you speak, write, and coach. Um, tell us a little bit about your typical clients there and, and who you work with and uh, what types of things you help them with. Oh, sure. They vary by industry. I, the industry really doesn't matter. Um, it's, real, it's mostly about a couple of different avenues. So I have CEOs for whom I am a private sounding board. It's difficult to be at the top of the heap and not have folks to talk to that understand your business, understand business in general. And, you know, you need a place to vent and talk. So my private coaching clients are mostly people at the top of their business that feel like they need somebody to talk to that, um, that doesn't need to sway them in one way or another. And then I have group coaching. So there are a couple of different uh, sales teams, um, from different industries and even regular teams. I, I, I did coaching session, sessions yesterday with the entire company of a big um, insurance agency in Michigan, 50 people. We had, you know, 10 or 12 in each session, just coaching them on communication, fielding calls, um, some tools that I can give them to respond rather than react. And, um, and the speaking part, I'm at big sales meetings, small sales meetings. I'm at associations. I've done a lot with um, the independent insurance associations throughout the country, as well as uh, some real estate associations, some things in banking with Morgan Stanley, DeLago London Bank. So, you know, if you've got um, a big meeting and a big team and you want to bring in somebody to, you know, give them some tools they can walk away with and let them have fun at the meeting, you bring in folks like me. As I mentioned earlier, your most recent book is B2B is really P2P, which is a great book. It came out really just literally months, weeks before COVID hit. Um, I'm curious, did that timing of the book, do you think that was good or bad timing? Is there anything you'd have done differently in writing the book had you written it a year later? 
I've learned more since then. I might have included some, you know, some things about COVID and how it changed our world. Of course, the writing would have been different. You know, I'm a proponent of face-to-face communication. Um, I know that people do business with people they like. People do business with people they're in a good relationship with, and relationships are built by face-to-face communication. And you know, this is not just my opinion. This is science. Um, you can look at a study from Vanessa Bonds, who is a professor at a Cornell, and she did a study. She sent groups of people out with an ask, and one group went out and made their request via email and compared to another group that went out and made their request via audio or video call. And the results were that the chance of a yes was 84% likely on the audio video versus uh, 16% on the email. Hmm. Mm. She then took that very successful audio video group and pitted them against folks making the same request in person. In person, 66% versus 33% audio video. So it's really no contest. Scientifically, we do better when we're face-to-face. So going back to what your question is, you know, addressing COVID and what you can do and how you could have acted during those couple of years where we didn't have much of a chance to be face-to-face would have been an interesting section of the book and uh you know maybe that becomes a p2p 2.0 or something well i love it yeah no doubt during that time i think you know there are things we're all going to look back and say that we learned and you know some of those probably are things that we learned that are going to push us in good directions mm-hmm. you know as as we think about this and yes you talk a lot about the importance of relationships and positive relationships with prospects and clients um, I mean, why do you, I'm not sure how to ask this. So, so do you think technology and the advancement of technology has kind of pushed people toward taking a more transactional approach to sales and less of a personal approach? And, you know, why aren't people seeing, hey, this isn't working as well? I mean, what, what are your thoughts as far as what's going through businesses' heads that are kind of pushing more toward a transactional Uh, approach to sales? You know, for me, there is nothing more important in business than facilitating good communication. Zero hyperbole here, by the way. Nothing is more important than facilitating great communication in your business. And that means with your suppliers, it means with your customers, and it means with your employees, and it means with your managers, working up and working down. It's the sync, you know, this skill set, unfortunately, and I'm I'm answering your question about the tech in this way, this skill set is is not really looked at strongly enough, I don't believe, by most businesses. I think people look at this as soft skills and they want you to learn, you know, this other selling model or, you know, this strong uh, training that we're going to send you to that's going to give you all this tech expertise. You know, and to me, this skill set will do more for your life and more for your bank balance than any other set of skills you can learn. No doubt in my mind. And I believe that if you take someone who is a superior communicator, someone who you would deem as charismatic, and they have the other qualities of a great salesperson, I could bring them to sell metal roofs, two by fours, or 
supercomputers. It doesn't matter. People do business with people they like. You need a good amount of knowledge of your trade, but more than that, you need the knowledge of the people. And I think what happened in the tech that took away from that is it got easier. I got a friend out in the UK named Anthony Steers, and Anthony said something I've never forgotten. He said, email will get it off your desk, but it won't get it done. And what Anthony meant by that, now Anthony teaches telemarketing groups how to be effective on the phone. So, of course, email is his enemy. But what happens is you get young salespeople and they jump into the tech, right? And they say, well, if I can set up this cadence in my CRM and I can use LinkedIn and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, I will get all these leads that will come into me. And while all those things are important, so, you know, disclaimer here, um, I love tech. So before I, I have to explain that because being a guy that's been around for a while, people think, well, listen to Frank here. He's going to message and tell me to get an inkwell and a quill pen. But the truth is that I love tech. My, my assistant, I hired my assistant, Fariha, when she lived in, the, in Pakistan. She now lives in the UK. We work seamlessly through Payoneer, video conferencing. She's in my CRM. I use Karma. Um, my CRM has cadences set up by Fariha that then has, depending on what happens when she sends messages out, I'm prompted to call on this day or that day. I love the tech. I lean into the tech. I don't lean on the tech because I understand that at the end of it, it's really about creating relationships. So what happens is people get lazy. As Anthony said, I'll get you off your desk, but I won't get it done. So you're, you're a, you're a brand new salesperson or even semi-seasoned salesperson, what is easier, Todd, than reaching out to 22 different products, uh, 22 different prospects rather, with the same email that you can blast out and say, I did my prospecting. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder than getting on the phone and trying to get those same 20 people <laughs> to contact with you but it's not as effective. I think that there's a combination of these things that you can use. Like I have clients that I get their attention via text because I know that that's how they'd like me to get their attention. I use email to confirm the conversations that we have often. I want a written record of things, so I want email. I buy ads on social media. I think you said before that you likely found my book on LinkedIn. So we do ads on social media. I have a social media person that posts for me a few times a week. She's very good. So I, I love the tech. I just caution people who believe that tech can replace this human contact that has been scientifically proven to be effective. It, it just doesn't work. Use the tech, but don't rely on it. Yeah. It's not going to replace you and what you bring to the market. Yeah, uh, you know, we have all these new incredible tools at our disposal that should make our life easier, but it, it doesn't change these first principles that have been proven true for hundreds of years of relationships and, and quality communication. And, you know, hearing you talk about this, I, I'm thinking back to during COVID, we were in the market for a particular service and we're talking with a few potential vendors and um, obviously everything was being done over video calls and Zooms, but I was blown away that we were having all these calls where salespeople were pitching us and 
they didn't turn their video on for the Zoom call or the Google Hangout or whatever it was. We we went into it, want, you know, assuming that one of the benefits of these new tools is still being able to see a person's face and look in their eyes, at least virtually. But so, yeah, the sales meeting after the week of all those calls, I made a declaration that Isaiah Industries will always have our cameras on during uh, video calls. And that's the it uh, goes back to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. taking the easy way out, maybe being a little bit lazy, but um, I, I just don't understand it. But uh, so I'd love to hear when you're working with salespeople and trying to improve their level of communication. What are what are the key components, key pr- principles you're you're training them on to try to overcome these typical, maybe um, perceived notions of salespeople that you know lazy or belligerent or you know poor communicators what are how are you trying to teach them to be different listen you could boil it down mostly to listening um i I, obviously we can't go into an entire course on nlp neurolinguistic programming which is where my training is but the models in nlp teach us not only to listen but how to listen it's it's enormously important Like, let's think about this for a second. Think about someone you know that you would deem to be a great listener. Imagine that person for a minute. Now think about it. Do you like that person? Do you think that person likes you? Do you respect that person? Do you think that person respects you? Do you think they're smart? You know, so if you want to be respected, smart, and liked, what should you do? It's, you know, no one ever said, I I hate that guy. All he ever did is listen to me. It's it's really about it's more than anything. You know, there's a part in the book that I talk about. I think the chapter is called Selling to the Sopranos. I have these two guys who I'm still friends with today, Dana Lyman and Mike Lyman, that own this business in Manhattan. And they were just absolutely belligerent and couldn't stand uh, to be sold to. And they were bigger than life. And, you know, you'll read the story in the book. And what I remember about that conversation and it coming around is that if you had one of those giant chess clocks that you know you hit every time somebody moves and you keep the timing, is that at the end of the hour, it would have been Steve, my sales rep, and me spoke 15 minutes and the Lyman brothers 45. And we wound up having an authentically good relationship. We generally, genuinely liked each other. We just got dinner all the time. They're great guys. I don't think it would have gotten there had we not shut up, ask questions, and listen. So you've touched here on NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and this is not the first time that NLP has come up uh, as a topic here on construction disruption. Um, and you, you've you already touched on a little bit saying, hey, it's not just about what you say, it's about listening first. Um, can you, though, give us, for folks who may not be real familiar with NLP, um, maybe give us a overview of it and how you see it impacting the sales process, you know, and how folks who are cognizant of these things use it to to their benefit? Oh, sure. I You know, I teach bits and pieces of this all the time. So in NLP, we do, you guys have seen... Um, different models of personality types and various things that are taught and sold all the time. And NLP has models of people and it talks about what communication styles they like. And if you understand other folks' styles, and and one of the easiest ones is um, like what I refer to as a view from the air and a view from the ground. And you know, if you have a view from the air, 
you like to give and receive information in large chunks. And if you have a view from the ground, you like to give and receive information mm-hmm. in small detail. And neither one is better than the other. But when those two get together, if they don't recognize the other person's style, and again, the biggest thing for me as a salesperson is to remember that you are responsible for the result of your communication. You are responsible for the result of your communication because you want to be. You need to get a point across. It doesn't serve you to say, she misunderstood me. He didn't get me. That's not what I meant. They misinterpreted. None of that serves you. What serves you is getting your point across. So you want to be responsible for the result of your communication. Therefore, when you learn other people's styles, so if I'm talking to Seth and I know that Seth has a view from the ground and I have a view from the air and Seth asked me about what happened yesterday, I want to give him a couple of big chunks. You know, I ran to the store, you know, took, took the dog out and uh, worked a couple hours on a project. But if Seth's got a view from the ground, What he's going to hear is, Frank doesn't give a darn about me. He's trying to blow me off. He doesn't think I'm smart enough to understand what he's doing. He doesn't care enough to talk to me about his day. He's just trying to get past this. How's that for rapport? Pretty crappy. You know, and vice versa, if Seth's given me information and it's a lot, a lot of little detail, I'm, I'm sitting there. My whole body posture will be something that looks like, can we land this plane, man? I mean, come on. You know, is there a point here? You know, and that's not good for us. Sometimes what, you know, you have somebody that has this view from the air and they're listening to someone with a view from the ground. Their lips are actually moving. They're so anxious to cut them off and say the next thing. Horrible for rapport. So can't I then offer a little commentary when I know my listener is, is a person that appreciates detail if i'm conscious of that i will be conscious enough to add all of these bits of color commentary information and to facilitate rapport and if my view is one of detail couldn't i then edit myself a little bit understanding that the person i'm talking to likes to get big chunks of information so i can edit myself you know this kind of like you know i'll learn a little mandarin before you trip to china it's it's not you, you don't want to be manipulative. You don't want to be disingenuous. What you want to be is understanding of the other person's systems and then working within that so that you can facilitate communication. The reason you're doing that and not them is because you are responsible, Mr. Salesperson, for the results of your communication because you want to. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Good advice there. And I had never heard that view from the ground and view from the air sort of analogy before, but uh, yeah, that's very useful. Um, So, you know, as you have built your and progressed in your career in sales, I'm kind of curious. I mean, did all of this just come natural to you or did you have to figure it out on your own or where, where did you get where you are today? Who were some of the folks you learned from or listened to or paid attention to? Hmm. Yeah, that's funny because I often say, um, you know, I've, for whatever level of success that I've had was super unlikely. And it was my my feeling of not going my feeling that i thought i wouldn't be able to get it done that drove me to learn so you know i sometimes i use this um commentary sometimes people get you know i tell people i work uh and i have my entire career every sunday morning for a few hours to get set for the week and 
that people say, wow, he's a hard worker. Wow, he's really dedicated. No, I'm slow. I, you may be able to go into the week and get done everything that I'm going to do by showing up on Monday morning and just kicking in. I can't. I don't have the ability. I need more time than most people. So I've studied like crazy just because I want to keep up. I study, you know, I've been to Tony Robbins seminars. I studied Tony because Tony is, you know, everything that Tony Robbins ever did came out of NLP. He was an NLP student first. So I studied Tony. I've got a wonderful guy. As a matter of fact, um, y'all should write down this phone number, 973-743-4690. That's a number for success hotline, a guy named Dr. Rob Gilbert. He's a professor out of Montclair State University for 40 years. He has left an inspirational three-minute message every day, seven days a week, for over 20 years. Every day, a new message. Wow. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. So Rob is a mentor of mine. He um, he did the introduction on my second audio program for me. Love Rob. He'd probably be a good guest for you, too. Rob's a great guy. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I've read everything that I can get my hands on. Um, I read whatever's contemporary in business, like... Um, Right now, I'm, I'm reading some stuff from Berger. Um, I, you know, when you read on a Kindle, you never remember the name of the books you read, right? <laughs> I hear you. you know, I always read electronically. But um, Dan Pink, I've read everything that Dan Pink has put out. I think he's, uh, he's spot on in what he does. So I've taken plenty of uh, classes. It's, it's about always trying to continue to be educated. I've, I've been fortunate to have great mentors. And I think one of the things that I would tell folks um, is finding people who are already doing what you'd like to do and ask them how they did it is one of the biggest things you can do for a leg up. You know, people, especially in sales, I mean, we all know that a salesperson who has been wildly successful would like nothing more than to tell you about why and how they're successful. So find that person that number one number two in your industry invite them out for a coffee see if they'll jump on a zoom call for you have some questions prepared ahead of time and, and ask and they'd be happy to tell you and then you've got a blueprint you know as, as dr rob always says get somebody great their hindsight can be your foresight hmm. so i i think that's a, a huge suggestion and rob is the guy remember i said years ago i hired a speaker it was rob he's the guy i went out to dinner with he's the guy that has helped me to develop my speaking career. He's, he's just been a, an enormous help. You know, I think that's interesting. And, and you're obviously a guy who has a lot of curiosity and you're always trying to learn and, and be in that uh, mode of always learning and, and improving. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of salespeople and I've worked with salespeople who had that bent to them. And then I've also worked with some salespeople who would listen, but they had no interest in utilizing any new information. Um, as a sales coach, how do you work with people who maybe are reticent, I guess I'll say, um, you know, to, to try some new things and learn some new things? I, I mean, I don't mean to say it sound lugubrious, but, you know, sometimes you work with these folks that you're just like, the lights aren't, aren't on. I mean, I'm not getting through to them at all in terms of something that they're going to change behavior from. 
Um, what's your advice as a sales coach in, in working with folks like that? For me, the idea is that if you're not doing a thing particularly well or as well as you'd like to, uh, then I have an avenue to help you to try something different. And I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I write this uh, inspirational blog. It's, the, it's, it's salesy, but not entirely. It's more about communication and things like that. And it's been going on for oof, since um, 2001. I guess is when I started, it comes, wow. out once, comes out once a week. And, um, and I wrote a blog that I, I wrote on there. Um, I can lead a, ho a horse to water, but if I have to, I'll likely drown. Okay. You know, so the, I mean, you know, Todd, the answer to your question then is you have to be ready. You've got to be open. I can ask you some questions about how you're doing now and maybe point out some places that, there could be some improvement and then offer you some training. But the truth is that I will, I can hand this out to a hundred people and a, a, a great percentage of them won't use it. You know, that's why the Pareto law works. That's why 80% of your revenue often comes from 20% of your team. That's why we rank our salespeople. Why is the number one person light years ahead of the number 10 person? It's not ability. You know, you're not lacking anything, but you may be blocking things. And you may not be learning things that you want to learn. And, and that's the difference. You know, I said at the start of our talk together today that hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. I tell this to salespeople all the time. You're learning something new. But while you're learning, you can just outwork and out hustle the person next to you. If you just outwork everybody, you will have great results. Um, there's no doubt about that. If they're doing 10 calls a day, you do 20. If they're reaching out 100 times a day, you reach out 200. You know, it's, it's, there's only, you know, I used to do a thing. This is absolutely awful. And Seth, don't do this to your salespeople. But I used to do a thing when I had like 80 reps called Breakfast with the Boss. And this is a terrible, terrible thing. And I'm embarrassed, but I have to tell you because you'll, you'll see where we'll come from. <laughs> and this was in the late 80s. So think about what the late 80s was, right? What it was like. And I would take the bottom person on the sales team of 80 something people and say, breakfast with the boss. You have to meet me in my office at 7 a.m. for breakfast. Now my office was beautiful Times Square overlooking the Toshiba sign, um, right, right where the parade comes, you know, the Thanksgiving parade, right there. So I'd be sitting in that nice office and you'd come in for breakfast with the boss and breakfast with the boss meant I had breakfast, you sat and watched me. I didn't so much talk to you a cup of coffee. It was really obnoxious. And and after a minute or two of chewing my bagel and sipping my coffee, I would look at you and say, Seth, you were 14% of your sales goal last month. And you would be like, yeah. So Seth, answer me this. Seth. Are, are you lazy or do you simply lack talent? <laughs> and leave the pregnant pause. Now, once you've bludgeoned someone with a question like that, first of all, if they've got any wits about them, they, they, they cop to being lazy, right? Um, but the, the good thing about that is once you get somebody in that position, now I want to build them up because lazy and lack talent really means do we need to look at a better plan for your work or do you need some training? And we'd get there with them. You know, we'd, we'd hit them first and then we'd build it back up to that 
lazy or lack talent. That was actually the title of my first audio program. But, and, and that's all it means. So in sales, there are only two components to success, right? There's work and there's learning. There's nothing else, hmm. right? There's nothing else. So while you're learning, you have to remember that you have to balance that scale by working more than the next person. And as you learn more, you can work slightly differently than you had to when you were brand spanking new. You know, that, that's a great story. And, and yes, it's very 80s because I was there with you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm kind of curious, though, as you look over your career and over the years, I mean, hard to believe that, you know, the 80s was 40 years ago at this point. But I think we have made a lot of progress from, you know, the 80s was the day of WKRP and Herb Tarlick. And, you know, that was the salesperson. Um you know, can you can you kind of relate a little bit on that change that is taken from that sort of mentality about sales to more of a professional, high integrity um, method of selling? Sure. So, I, you know, I've always railed against the uh, the media depiction of salespeople. I do it in my book. Absolutely. You know, I have strive to be a professional that helps my clients you know the idea is to ask questions and then come to a place where the conclusion is good for them and good for you and if you can't get there you need to be able to look at them and say this isn't something that i can help you with and then maybe help them to somebody that can you know when you're mm -hmm. when you're really good and you're confident you've got to know you can't put a square peg in a round hole it's not about making commission it's about relationships and doing things well and and i've always been bothered by you know the the media depiction as i said of so danny devito and tin men you know is certainly <laughs> not my archetype right um so i'm a professional i learn in my career and i think what's happened today more than ever is people are more tuned in with purpose and wanting to have a job that feels good so as a salesperson one of the ways that I direct people to feel good is I ask them, and you see on the wall behind me, this says, give blood. So that's from the Kulizinemia Foundation. I've been a board member, past president, been with Kulizinemia Foundation for over 30 years. And I tell salespeople all the time, you know, um, the universe did not give you this wonderful ability with people to line your pockets. You know, Superman could have broke through walls and robbed banks, but he didn't. So take this superpower and use it for something wonderful. Find an organization that matters to you. Maybe someone in your family had a particular disease, or maybe, you know, your you, your love of dogs has you volunteering at a shelter or with, with a, an organization that takes care of, you know, stray animals. Whatever it is whatever your passion is that you can volunteer to help do that because those folks need people with our skills to help to help convince donors to contribute to drive events right they need big sales type skills to help them and by the way while you're doing that and you're meeting all of these people in that organization and they're getting to know who you are authentically guess what when they need products like the ones you have they're going to ask you so you can't give it away. You can try, but you can't give it away. It will come back and serve you. Don't go into the charity for the purpose of canvassing people for your product. 
go into the charity for the purpose of helping and the byproduct will be tons of business and wonderful relationships that will come your way. Good stuff. Well, I want to change gears a tiny bit here. I'm kind of curious of something that's in the news all the time now is AI, artificial intelligence. Any thoughts on how that's going to impact sales down the road? Wow. Uh, it's Yes, it's going to. You know, it's mm -hmm. here to stay. It's real. Um, I've messed around a bunch on ChatGPT, in fact, doing seminars. Because uh, sometimes I do like an, an in-house for a company. So I'll go and do a full meaning, uh, full morning of training for, uh, you know, a, a group of people. I'm, I'm heading out to uh, Chicago to do one at the end of this month where we'll do a full morning of communications and sales. And um, and what I do is I jump into AI and say, I'm going to meet with a group of 22 people and I'm going to teach them listening skills. What exercises do you think would be useful? And ChatGPT goes, hey, ChatGPT, give me five things that people will find amusing and useful when they're learning listening skills. Boom. I get So I scroll through tons of that stuff. And then I go, oh, that's something I can use. You know, it's great for that. I know a company that I coach for right now. I coach the uh, sales leader and the CEO. And they have their marketing department using AI for all their posts. They don't write their posts anymore. They literally do everything through AI. So, you know, where's it gonna go? I don't know, but it's gonna go. So I'm curious, um, Frank, if you've run across a company called Rilla Voice, uh, a few episodes ago, we had their CEO here on the show and actually they're based there in Manhattan, um, but really interesting AI, machine learning driven technology. Um, is that anything you've run across yet? I, I can give a quick overview of it real quick, though. No, no. I, I don't know. Okay. Company. Well, and, and I won't bore folks too much. They can go back and listen to the episode. But, you know, basically, um, the, the sales rep records his conversations and this goes through and automatically compares what he's saying to what successful salespeople are saying. Um, and it comes back and tells, you know, that salesperson or sales lady, hey, here are some coaching tips to be better at what you're doing. So fascinating stuff. Anyway, I, I agree. AI is not going to go away. And uh, I, I think there's going to be some cool ways to work with wow. it. Wow. That's fantastic. What's the name of that company again? So, again, the name of that company is Rilla Voice, R-I-L-L-A Voice. Um, and I think it's RillaVoice.com. Uh, Sebastian Jimenez is the uh, CEO, and he was here on the show a few episodes ago as well. It. I love it. That's like having a manager listening to every call with you and offering you correction. That's fantastic. Uh, and that's a big part of their pitch. It's, yeah, it was ride a long time versus listening to every appointment. And yeah, and it's interesting, you know, some of the learnings that have come out of this. So, and, you know, um, 50 year, for the last 50 years in home improvement selling, in the home selling, you go into the house and you start with your company story. This is who we are, what we do, you know, how long we've been in business, et cetera. Um, they were finding out of all this data that they were gathering, uh, the most successful reps were saving that information for the end of the appointment. And so now the top, uh, top uh, companies in the country are totally flipping the order and up in close rates be ahead of it uh, because of it. So we're definitely lots of learnings ahead that right, will cool. change things. 
which I have to say, give us credit, that pivot was something we recommended about 10 years ago on the advice of Bill Gladwell, who was another Tony Robbins student, um, really big into NLP, and he was the one that clued us in and said, you got to sell yourself right before the close, um, not at the start. So uh, cool stuff. Well, Frank, I'm curious. It's been a great discussion. Um, why do you lo- what do you love about what you do? I'll answer that um, specifically that I love doing keynotes. I love getting in front of sales teams and giving a talk because I feel like I can offer some tools that people can walk away with. I've had feedback with people that said, hey, listen, I tried what you said and it worked really well. Or, hey, I incorporated this part of what your talk was and man, oh man, it changed things. So I love to learn. I'm constantly looking out for new information and feedback. And I just, it jazzes me knowing that I can talk to somebody and listen to what they're going through and then look at the research that I've done that I have at my fingertips and say, hey, Think about, you know, what happened, you know, what Dan Pink said in this study that, you know, 40 percent of your day as a non-salesperson, this is for real, 40 percent of your day as a non-salesperson is spent selling. So when I'm talking to groups that are non-salespeople and and they look at me as a salesperson, I'm like, yes, what is selling? It's asking people to part with resources or time in order for you to achieve that thing that you want to achieve. That's what you're doing. 40%, according to Dan's study with 9,000 people, 40% of your day spent doing that. So the answer is I love lighting people up with information. I love helping them. I love giving them stuff that they can go out and use. Uh, I love researching and learning more and doing more. And, and then I also have this you know, performance Jones thing. I love getting up on stage and delivering it and giving stories that are funny and poignant and make people move from one place to another. That's it's, it's what I live for. That is cool stuff. And you can see someone actually make that movement and make that jump from uh, where they are into some different behavior. So um, what advice would you have for someone out there who is maybe early in their career in sales or still trying to figure out, is this going to be the right gig for me type thing? What What are some of the key advice you'd, you'd give to them? Well, in the beginning of our talk, Seth said that he is wildly competitive. And I can tell you that I have not met a successful salesperson that is not competitive. I think it's part of what we need to be. We, it has to matter to us. You have to want to, you have to want to win. Um, so because, you know, in this business, more than anything else in selling, you're going to hear a lot more no's than yeses. And being able to push through that is this ability to want to win. So resilience is a huge component. My advice to salespeople would be to think about what it is that you want to do. You know, often in sales, the barrier to entry is super low, right? You can join one of these canvassing teams that's going out to sell whatever, solar panels, gutter guards, I don't care what it is, and they just dump you into a neighborhood and, you know, you can be persistent knocking on doors. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is selling or that's something that you're good at. Think about you know, what you like. Do you real, genuinely like people? Do you like to help out? Are you interested in their business? You know, one of the best parts I found about selling is getting a glimpse inside of all of these different companies that did different things. It was mind-blowing. I couldn't ask enough questions. 
I go, really? Mm -hmm. Manufacture plastic? Talk to me. How do you, like, where did this come from? How did you wind up in this business? I think that's, uh, so if you're not naturally curious, um, if you want to help people, if you have some competitive instinct, you know, and and you also want to be limitless because in different sales professions um, are not, so let me retract a little bit. Some sales professions don't require all these things that I'm talking about. When you pay for performance, you need to be competitive. You must be persistent. Um, you have to have a desire to be curious. Um, you know, you have to have a strong work ethic and a great attitude. You got to wake up every day saying it's going to be a great day. I'm going to kill it today. And when you're paid for performance, if you're in one of these gigs that it's, you know, 90% salary and 10% bonus, if the whole team hits their number, you don't need those. That's a different skill set. So th that's considered a sales position, but it's not classically sales in terms of pay for performance. So let's distinguish between those two. And I'm speaking to folks that are pay for performance sellers. Those people, you want to examine yourself and say, you know, am I competitive? Am I persistent? And then you want to remember the biggest, the most important things um, are as I said in the beginning, you can outwork and out-hustle anybody until you learn what you have to learn. That's within your control. You can find people that are doing what you'd like to do and ask them how they did it. And you can have a great attitude and a great work ethic tomorrow morning. It's a choice. It's not a trait. It's a choice. See, in selling, you know, no one ever said you have to be six foot two or two foot six or go to Wharton School of Business or the local community college. What you have to be is persistent. You've got to ask great questions. Uh, you have to be resilient, have a good attitude. And that's it. If you bring those things to the table and remember them all the time, you, you can be wildly successful. Well, I love that. And we've certainly have all seen that. Um, if you've worked with any sales team, you, you see that uh, new team member that comes on and, you know, while they're learning, they are out working, they are out hustling, they're keeping the attitude well. And those are the, the guys and gals uh, who do extremely well yes. in this profession long term. Good stuff. Well, Frank, this has been a great time together. Thank you so much. Um, we're close to wrapping up kind of what we call the business end of things. Um, is there anything we haven't covered today that you would like to share with our audience? I would like to say read as much as you can. Listen as much as you can. Get on podcasts like this when you're in your car. If I'm, I'm not the fun police, okay? I don't want you to not have a good time. But if you're in your car you know, listening to Howard Stern, that's great. He's funny. But, you know, I'm in my car listening to Lori Santos' Happiness Lab or, you know, various podcasts that I am uh, subscribed to because I'm picking up more information that helps me in my profession. And why would I waste a 45-minute drive? I'm either calling clients or I'm listening to something useful. You know, find that downtime to read a little bit in your profession. Find some things that resonate with you. You know, you'll find authors that you like. Maybe you don't want to read. Maybe you want to listen to audiobooks. That's great. Listen to audiobooks. But learn, 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 work, work, work. If you want to be at the top of the heap in sales, that's really all you have to do.
I can tell that you and I were both the guys back in the eighties who were buying every Nightingale Conan set of cassette tapes. Flyer miles, you know. There's a guy, named, you know, Todd, I'm gonna say, there's a guy named Peter Thompson who I've never found since that had the greatest audio program. There are two of them that I got on Nightingale Conan cassette tapes, you know, that I, I have no idea where they are now. <laughs> I kind of still know where all mine are. <laughs> right. Embarrassed to say. All you need is a cassette. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Well, I still have the 88 Mustang that plays my Tears Ooh. for Fear, Tears for Fears cassette, nice. so I can, I can put the others in there too. Nice. <laughs> uh, this has been great. So I have to ask you, before we close out, if you're willing to participate, in something we call our rapid fire questions, Frank. Now, this is seven questions uh, that we ask our guests. Some are serious, some are silly. Um, all you have to do is give a response. Are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? Absolutely. Cool. This is always fun. Um, well, we'll try alternating questions. Uh, Seth, you want to ask the first one? Sure, absolutely. So, Question number one. Can you think of a product or service that you have purchased recently that was a real game changer? Sort of a where have you been all my life moment. Uh, the dot card for exchanging business card information. Okay. I heard about one of these recently. So it, 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 you kind of just beam it to someone else's phone, right? right. Yeah, you just tap in and your stuff downloads into the phone. It's, I found that it's, at conventions, it's great. I have been playing with a social media platform idea that's kind of a little bit along those lines, but I won't reveal it here today. But someday we'll talk about that, Frank. Anyway, question number two. Okay, a little more lighthearted. What are your favorite pizza toppings? I think I'd have to go with peppers and onions. I may know what I'm having for dinner tonight. <laughs> okay. Question number three. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet future generations of your family? Past. Really? Because there'd be more to learn there. I think so. I think I could learn a lot. And, and plus, I'm, I'm curious as to how people manage the difficulties of what life, you know, I'm sleeping in an air-conditioned room with indoor plumbing. Like, what was yeah. it like 200 years ago? That's, I'm curious. Interesting. Good stuff. Well, kind of along those lines, um, what one person from history would you most like to have dinner with? And what do you think would be the first question you'd ask them? Martin Luther King Jr., mm. instant, easy, um, the most interesting human being to me that's ever lived. And yeah. I would be, I would have no pages filled with questions. I mean, you know, how did he manage to come up from a segregated Jim Crow South beginning. And and had he lived, to me, he, he should have been president. Like just the most brilliant, lovable, extraordinarily gifted communicator. I just would love to know the story of how he learned, where he learned, why he learned. Good answer. Love yes. it. Uh, next question. You're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Who's one person do you definitely you definitely want to have on your team? Hmm, I think my wife. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, she's um she sees danger coming long before I ever do and alerts me. So <laughs> she'd be the right one to have. She she's de definitely in tune to what what we have to watch out for. Yep. Okay, next to last question. What non-family member, non-family person has been a consistent part of your life the longest? 
Oh, that's easy. Um, my kindergarten sweetheart, Karen Marshawn, she and I just spoke two weeks ago. So we've known each other for 60 years. I haven't seen her in probably 30, but, um, but we talk a couple times a year. She's the person outside of my family that I know the longest. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good, Good answer. Last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank, what would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered for my generosity. I'd like to be a person who people remember as making them feel better um, with each encounter. I think that'd be about the most important things to me, that people walked away feeling better than when they started and they remember me as being someone who was generous. Beautiful. This time uh, and this conversation for us has certainly uh, fulfilled that a little bit more for you. Inspiring and and great stuff that is going to help us be more successful. So thanks so much. Yeah, good stuff. So Frank, for folks who want to get in touch with you, how can they most easily do that? Uh, Just hit the site. Go to Frank at go to franksoma.com. And there's uh, it'll pop. There'll be a pop up that says sign up for the weekly blog. There's a coaching page. You can book a free 15-minute session with me via video to see if we'd be right for one another. Uh, My keynote and seminar page is there to see the topics that I speak on and see some video to see if I would be a fit with your group. So the best place to go is to the site. I'm actually just in a conversation today, had new uh, video done, and we're rebuilding. We're going to rebuild the site entirely, but I, I still like it as it is now. So I feel comfortable saying, go there. You'll, you'll learn about me. Oh, it's a great site. It's very vibrant. Again, that's franksoma.com. And that is uh, Soma is S-O-M-M-A, franksoma.com. Mm-hmm. So I need to uh, let everyone know. Frank, did you get your challenge word in? He did. Um, no I hyperbole. Did. Yeah, you did it. So, so that's a real compliment when someone gets it in and I don't catch it. Um, so good for you. So Frank's word was hyperbole. Um, Seth, I know you got yours in. Yours was belligerent. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and I had. I still can't say it well. Lugubrious. <laughs> lugubrious. <laughs> I got it worked in. Uh, good stuff. Well, thank you, Frank, very much. It's been great. My pleasure. And I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in to this very special episode of Construction Disruption with Frank Soma of the Soma Group and again, franksoma.com. Please, I encourage you to watch for future episodes of our podcast. We always have great guests. Um, Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Keep on looking for better ways of doing things and keep on challenging ourselves uh, into the future. And don't forget, most importantly, as Frank talked about also, have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile, encourage them. Simple, fun, easy things we can do uh, to change the world. Uh, So God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.